Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. With a fresh new song MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis This is MJ Network MJ in memory of my sister Marsha Joyce And we have the author of the 13th Hour Chaos. Oh, God, you're not going to believe this one. This one got me at the end. I was like, are you kidding me? It's the 4th of July, and it quins sleepy New York village when a catastrophic terror attacks, kills his wife, daughter, and hundreds of his fellow townspeople. Devastating, really, Nick is approached by one of his oldest friends, Gunshy, and dying, who's just handed him an antique pocket watch that he claims can save them all. And I'm not going to tell you anything more because the author's here. And we'll let him tell you. Good morning, Richard. How you doing? Welcome to I MJ am Network. terrific. Thank you so Good. much for having me, Fran. I appreciate it. No, this is cool. Let you? me tell you. How many Thank books you. have I read? 25,000, to be honest, in 12 years. Have you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, I have. Uh, you you I started, seen it all? Yeah, actually, this week I really saw it all. More than you know. <laughs> and <laughs> and some of them, it would have been nice if I didn't see them. And, you know, it gets hard. And then I've I've had quite a number of people that asked for book reviews this week. The bad part is the post office isn't bringing them, and they're coming oh, late. Oh, no. Yeah, oh, no. and I just got, well, I got a second copy of Philip Margolin's uh, new book that's coming out November 8th, and oh, oh uh-huh. God, to Robin Lockwood, and he's outrageous. He's so good. So that's yeah, him. So I have two terrific. of those. It's a good thing you handed me yours. I probably wouldn't wouldn't have seen it, and it's, it's sad. <laughs> Plus time uh. differences that got screwed up last week, and I have to reschedule them. So give us a summary, and how the prologue scared the daylights out of me. How did you create oh, the prologue, sure. and how did it set the scene for Evans to come? That was scary. Sure. You know, it, the, the 13th Hour Chaos is kind of a standalone sequel to the, the first uh, book, you know, which is called The 13th Hour, which came out mm-hmm. about uh, 10 years ago. And actually, uh, Sony's making a TV show. And I, you know, one day I live in Westchester County, and I was looking at uh, the Kensico Dam. And, you know, realized how long it had been there and such a historic, significant uh, piece of architecture and functionality uh, providing the water to New York City. And uh, I just thought, you know, what would happen if it, it, it shattered? And that really became, you know, a starting point for the 13th hour, which incidentally starts the last chapter and goes backwards. As does, yeah, I know. That's what uh, makes it even cooler. And so, you know, you start off, you know, in the 6 o'clock hour, you know, on the, in the big 4th of July celebration, and uh, there was an attack, and 
this gentleman, Nick Quinn, you know, witnessed his wife and daughter uh, drown, and it's a very, very tense, you know, moment and kickoff to the book. And, you know, when I write, I really base the characters off of my wife and myself, and I've always put her in danger. And really what I find that, that gives it a far more visceral effect to me when I write. And, you know, there's the old adage, you know, no tears for the writer, no tears for the reader, no fear mm. for the writer, no fear for the reader. And so, you know, I put her in this horrific situation, and then I have to figure out how do I get her back? How You know, mm. how do I save her? And so that is always kind of the, the, the touch point and the, the, the launching point in this book. And, you know, in this one, their three-year-old daughter was with them. And it, it kicks off a, a very fast-paced, twisty, puzzle kind of story, you know, as Nick does everything he can in a 12-hour period of time, uh, you know, trying to save his wife and his friends. Yeah, I know. And it's like, scary. your writing process is original. But I have to tell you, I didn't know what the book was about too much because me when Gina never gave me like a blurb or something, so I go like, wait a minute, uh-huh. I'm gonna look this up. <laughs> and I read, I read Stephen King's October first backwards and forwards. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I reviewed it and said, why me? It was interesting, and I read your book backwards and forwards too. Cause it made, well, I, I did. I, I started from the beginning, and then I said, "Well, let me go back this way to make sure that I know what happened." And it was, what can I say? So well, tell I'll us tell about you, this writing book. it. Yeah, that must yeah, have been hard. It was great. It's like you you create this very tight and taut, you know, mystery mm-hmm. and puzzle that you have to unwind. And mm-hmm. again, if if it's not uh, you know, complex for myself and, you know, creating that what happens next, you know, how can the reader experience that if I don't, so. Well, I had to go back and forth. I know I got it right away. Don't worry about it. I know. No. Yeah. It's just the <laughs> ending was like, I said, are you kidding? The ending was, was uh, <laughs> yeah, well, because then it goes back to wherever. So sad. So tell uh. us about about the first scene at the dam. That's an original scene. And Julia's yeah. reason for being so tense. And her, the sad, scary part is her law firm was handling the event for Chase. Yes. That, that's, yes. that's scary. There is, there's a political event that yeah. uh, that is happening concurrent when this attack happens. And it is actually somebody who was their teacher many, many years ago, her and Nick Quinn's teacher in high school, a swim coach. And he went to night school and got his law degree and ended up in the political arena and slowly moving up. And, you know, without saying too much, he was, you know, is a, a victim, so to speak, but also a protagonist in the sense that uh, he may not be everything he seems to be. You know, politicians, as you and I both know, are just Mm -hmm. honest and forthright and altruistic. You know, (laughs) (laughs) he he is (laughs) none of that. But, um, you know, he becomes a very good foil. But her law firm uh, that she has been with for many years 
you know, represents him. And uh, he was once a partner there before his political uh, world took off. So, uh, you know, it, it adds to – there's a number of stories that occur throughout uh, the 13th Hour Chaos. And it's not just Nick and uh, Julia's story, but it is um, – many characters that kind of unfold and, you know, whose motivation seems to change throughout the story and heroes become villains and villains become heroes and, uh, you know, which I love doing. You know, I love the twist. Well, the twist is if you read the ending, you're going to go, oh, my God. This was was original. (laughs) I was like, okay, let me get the tissues out for this box. Then I read the last <laughs> chapter, and I'm going, wait a minute. Too bad you can't really do that. That would be really cool. That would be really, really cool. So tell us it about Nick and why their relationship was strained and why he seemed hard on him and more self-absorbed. You know, what happens is, you know, in the first book, The 13th Hour Chaos, you really get a sense of, their love for each other and their relationship and their high school mm-hmm. sweethearts. Much of it mirrors uh, my wife and I, Virginia. We grew up together, went to Byron Hills High School, had been together since we were 14 years old. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and, and, yeah, it's great. And uh, in the second book, you know, you, you couldn't have a static, and they had a daughter, and they have a three-year-old daughter. And they're going through ups and downs. Their relation, you know, their marriage isn't shattered but they are going through the struggles as so many people do in their marriages when you are pulled in different directions from your career, from your children, and they don't have time for each other. And so there's a question about, you know, what's going on? You know, is she, you know, what what is she doing? Is she, um, you know, still into me as much? And, you know, conversely, she's thinking that, you know, is he wrapped up in his career? He's not caring. He's not looking out for our daughter. I'm doing everything. And they both kind of descended into that little bit of me, me, me. And, mm-hmm. you know, through this journey, there's a rediscovery of really what's important in life. And it's not necessarily mm-hmm. the things. It's it's the experiences and the love. And, uh, you know, so they each go through that journey. There are a lot of journeys. And, by the way, before I forget, I didn't forget to post it. I posted it last night, so I wouldn't forget this morning to post a review on Just Reviews. And I hope I spelled all the words right this time. No. Oh, uh, but my my you. computer has a habit of I use um, Grammarly, and then I use uh-huh. something that's brand new on my computer. Then I save it, and then my computer decides to delete the review. I'm serious. <laughs> and then it decides I have to write it over. But I outsmarted oh it because I have every review on my notepad. Even though really? my my wow. yeah I do yeah I, I write them on my notepad, then I send them to my computer and pray that they don't disappear. But if it disappears, I have them on my notepad, and my notepad is full. But I don't care because that's why it's there. So yeah, <laughs> I didn't I forget. I save in the cloud. I email to myself mm-hmm. and I back up on a memory stick, just because I matter. didn't have. Yep, it's just. The, the erase gods or the mystery yeah. gods seem to sometimes just take it all away. Yeah, I know, because I was writing my chapter for my next book, which probably could use a lot of help, 
And um, the, the last chapter disappeared. I go, that's a plus. Now I get to rewrite it again for the 40s. I write from the point of view of a dead person behind the gravestone. So you know, I was oh, just wow. killing off a lot of people. But in the second part of the book, I decided to have some of the voices before they're dead tell their story of why they're there. Oh, jeez. In a, in well, a very know, sick place. It's almost like it's your first draft. I don't know if you realize there was a Paul McCartney album called Band on the Run. And uh-huh. he wrote the songs for it. And he was in, Jam- I believe it was Jamaica. And uh, he was robbed. And some. And this was in the 70s. And somebody took all of oh, his God. cassettes. And so he had to go out and rewrite the songs from memory. You know what he was able to do. But... It made it better. Sometimes, you know, it, it, yeah. it, it, it it's already formed in your head or it's uh, smoothed out. So I hope rewriting that was a fun journey for you. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting because um, yesterday my show was with my college professor because I'm a reading specialist and writing. Uh-huh. And Dr. Cavuto and I talked about intervention, comprehension skills and stuff like that. So he said to me, and he tests me on my he tests me on my on my interview. He says, "Okay, I have mm-hmm. a test for you. Do you remember what this means?" And I told him. He said, "Did you have you applied it?" I said, "It's a good thing I applied it the other night when I was doing a book review, so I could visualize what the devil I was talking about <laughs> was like." Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> well, he puts me on the spot. It's tough. Okay, so who I'm... is Dreyfus, and what does he give Nick? That was so cool. And what's in the bag? And he said, this will solve all the problems. And who else wants yeah. it? I want it. I would like one, too. <laughs> yes, I think we all would. You know, yeah. there is Paul Dreyfus uh, is somebody that Nick came across in the initial book, The 13th Hour. And they ended up forming a, you know, a strong relationship. And he is... Wounded, he's shot. He comes in just before the dam breaks, and he says to Nick, "He said, you know, please, you've got to take this bag. You've got to, mm-hmm. you know, take this this watch." And Nick knew what the watch would do, and it would thrust him back mm-hmm. two hours earlier, so he would relive his prior hour again. And what the watch and actually does is it thrusts you back two hours to relive an hour forward and so you're going back and you're living your 12 o'clock hour and your 11 o'clock hour and your 10 o'clock hour marching back through your day and that is what Paul is really wrapped up and knows what's going on and he leaves some videos in this bag and clues to this mystery of you know who's committing these crimes and Nick sees uh, a video that is an hour in the future, you know, showing the destruction of the mm. dam and showing, you know, the results of that. And it, Nick is, you know, rather confused, even though he knows what the watch does, and but realizes, you know, all of these consequences that can come about, and that he has the ability to turn things right, but he doesn't know how, and he doesn't know who to turn to, and he has a, a very close friend, um, you know, that he ends up working with. But everybody he works with in an hour, when Nick leaves back another hour, they don't remember what just happened because it happened in the future. And so Nick is really the sole person on this journey 
and he has to, if he has an ally, he has to explain to them each hour how to loop them back in to help him on his, uh, you know, solving his mystery and saving his family. Don't you wish you could do that? I wish I could do that with something, you know, with what happened to my sister. And I wish I could have turned the clock ahead so I could find out what really happened. And then somebody oh would really goodness. tell me, this, yeah, and the, why, why create a video? Why not? So describe, yeah. the, the, the dam was scary. Describe the dam, who was there, and how come so many people died? So sad. You know, it, it was a, it was a, a fundraiser um, mm-hmm. for uh, this <clears throat> aspiring senator who was Nick and Julia's uh, former gym teacher and then became Julia's law partner. And they invited all of their friends. And really, they, they pulled them all in. Nobody really wanted to be at a political event on the 4th of July. But they all love and, you know, care about Nick and Julia so much, they showed up, you know, mm-hmm. out of friendship. And so it was really a gathering of truly everybody they loved and cared about, their best friends from childhood, their friends from work, the, the people that they spend, you know, their lives with. So, you know, when this event occurs and all of these people are wiped out and the only survivor is Nick, he's absolutely destroyed because he's not only lost his wife and his daughter, he's lost all of his friends. And he sees that the world is turning upside down, and it's really the tip of an iceberg of something far more sinister, far more, you know, on a far more global scale uh, that Nick slowly unwraps. But it all starts out, you know, at a very innocent party of all the ones that we, we, we show up to hors d'oeuvres and champagne sometimes when we don't want to, but... It, if we don't want to be there, but we're with our friends, it makes it a little easier. And so it was a very jovial, happy moment where mm. it was like a, a, a holiday party, a, a gathering of all their friends. And the, the guilt that Nick is feeling that he, all of these people, uh, you know, lost their lives, possibly as a result of something he may have done. I know that was that was really scary, but the cool part was for my next question. The story starts at five p.m., then it goes back an hour, then it keeps going back. But the only one that really knows what happened is Nick. So now Nick yeah. has to convince Detective Shannon to evacuate. So why would he even listen to him instead of putting him in the loony tin bin? I'm thinking like exactly. this guy's lost his mind. Completely, and that's that's one of the hardest things to do. And really, what happens mm-hmm. is the the detect the uh, Shannon, you know, who's on the police force, yeah. is friends with Nick, and he pauses his disbelief out of friendship, and you know thinks he's absolutely crazy, but he knows his friend is sober, and it, it's not a uh, a threat that would be thrown out lightly, and. So there's this mad scramble, uh, you know, in the second mm-hmm. chapter, which is an hour earlier, of Nick trying to stop the event, you know, from occurring. And that's what we would all do. But really what happens in the second chapter, without saying too much, is 
They stop it, but things grow far more complicated, far more treacherous, far more disastrous than a dam that breaks. And, you know, the threat of the dam breaking, it's not just that all his friends lost their lives, but, you know, it it is a threat to the uh, community surrounding the dam and the New York City water supply there, you know, because the Kentico Reservoir it is the primary mm-hmm. uh, holding feeder, you know, for New York City. So well, I know um, where that but, is. But you know, his, yeah, yeah. But so it's, Shannon is really, you know, mm. in in chapter after chapter, Nick has a lot of convincing to do, um, you know, to to the police and you know to seek help, and a lot of that. The first two chapters. You, you start off in the first one, and it's just absolutely treacherous and mm-hmm. sad and crazy and, and brawling. But in the second chapter, the mystery really comes to light. And the end of the second chapter, I don't want to say too much about that, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it takes it in a completely different direction that you know people will not really see coming. As a matter of fact, it's probably why I got eye strain because I just sat down and read it after you gave it to me that day. Uh-huh. I just want you to know there were a whole bunch of people, books staring at me, and then go, wait a minute, let me see what this is about. And the minute, minute I saw that it goes back in time and stuff like that, I go, oh, what the heck, let me read this now. Oh, uh, which is what, so nice Which is what I did because lately I've been looking at books and saying, oh, God, I think I'll just leave it and hide it. And you know, a, a couple, and I've never done this before. A couple of people said, Did you, and I really didn't get them because the post office hasn't brought mm-hmm. bring them. They didn't bring them, and I go, right. oh, thank God. So tell us about this. Was really scary too. Paul's letter and their his conversation with Paul, and Paul yeah, wrote well, him a letter. Yeah, we don't want to say too yeah. much, but he wrote him a letter. I know. Yeah. No, he he wrote him a letter outlining what actually happens, and this, this is Paul Dreyfus, uh, mm-hmm. who you know was shot and actually died in the first chapter. He outlines you know a bit what is going on, and he's pleading uh, to Nick to save not only his wife and daughter but also Paul's family because he knows yeah. what the future holds. He knew what was coming mm. because he saw it and he lived it. And it was a, a very impassioned letter, and it was also a little bit of instructional, telling him, you know, what to go, you know, where to go, how to, you know, who not to trust, and you know, be on, be on the lookout. And uh, he's he's a voice from the grave. Now, what's interesting is when uh, Nick goes to speak to him again. It's before a lot of the events occur, but Paul, who really understands, you know, what the watch can do and is a close friend of Nick, mm. is the easiest to convince. Uh, and so, you know, he pulls Paul into the journey, you know, various times throughout the book because Paul, uh, you know, is his, you know, one of his closest friends and the easiest person to provide help. So it's... Uh, but he gives him that letter, and that letter is a uh, a terrific driver. It drove me to read the next page. 
and more. <laughs> so now we come to the bad guy, people. Now we come to the character that you're going to love because he's evil, Zane. Who is Zane, and what does he claim to to be, and how does he start the chain of events that causes Nick's family, and what does he demand of, of him? And, oh, God, and he's related to Chase. This is terrible. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Zane is really uh, somebody who is behind a lot of what's going on. And yeah. he ends up, I mean, in the second chapter where I mentioned that things can turn crazy. You know, in the second chapter, Nick's wife, Julia, and his daughter uh, mm-hmm. are still alive because it's an hour earlier. But it turns out Nick is being pursued by this guy, Zane. And this guy, Zane, has kidnapped now his daughter and his wife and is holding them, you know, at gunpoint. But Zane also knows that Nick has a watch. And he is mm. looking and he he wants, he's trying to force Nick's hand to help him. And when Nick doesn't, he kills his wife right in front of Nick. And so so Nick has seen his wife die two times and is, you know, once again shattered. And, you know, it's just the introduction to this character who truly you don't Mm. know what's driving him or where he's going. But what he's doing throughout the story is on a far greater level than we had any comprehension. His involvement is on a global scale. And I think it's so important that Mm -hmm. in a book that you have characters that you can relate to and people that you can identify with and people that you might loathe. But you need to experience it, you know, emotionally and individually. You know, when you see like a disaster movie or anything like that, when so many people are dying, you know, it's horrible, but you don't really personalize it. And what's happened here is the story is extremely personal. It's driven of the whole story is Nick trying to save his wife and daughter, you know, and also his friends. Uh, but there are far greater conspiracies that are going on, far greater things that Nick does not realize, you know, that involve uh, you know, the, the presidency and, and politics and, you know, a war in another land. And uh, Zane is somehow involved in all of this. And uh, yes. he is, he, what, what happens is he's chasing Nick. And he knows what's going on in every hour. And he's chasing Nick and doing everything he can to stop Nick, get his watch, because if you think about the power of mm-hmm. something that in the wrong hands, something, you know, so magical that can save somebody can also devastate. And, you know, it, it's with great power comes great responsibility. You know, that, that old Spider-Man adage, I think it is. <laughs> but well, Zane if is you guys have the book in front of you, and I won't tell you why I'm saying this, if you read pages 280, 281, and 282, you better keep the lights on. That's all I'm going to say. 
<laughs> because that says that says it all. Let me tell you. Oh my God. You know, pe- bad people make excuses for their behavior, and bad guys and villains in the story always have a rationale for why they do what they do because they actually believe what they're doing is right. So mm-hmm. let's meet another horrible character. Actually, you know, he's interesting. Renzo. What is his relationship yeah. with Glenn? I liked him. He's really interesting. What is his relationship with Dwayne, and why does he claim to be, and what's his goal? You don't want to trust him, but he's interesting. Right, right. No, I mean, he is, you know, an FBI agent. He is, you know, looking into everything that's happening. Uh, but, again, he motives are hidden. And, you know, is he of help to Nick? Is he of help to uh, Julia? You know, it is, you know, what is driving him? And, you know, he mm-hmm. is somebody that is, I said FBI, he's actually, uh, you know, involved with the Secret Service. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, why is even the Secret Service there? What is their involvement in all of this? And he is in major conflict also with, um, you know, with Zane. And, you know, the two of them, you know, are they allies? Are they enemies? And where does Nick fit in between all of them? Who will help him? Who will betray him? You know, who's going to help him get where he needs to go and, you know, save the day? And uh, it's, you know, one of the interesting things that I always do, and I'm sure a lot of writers do this, is we base characters on traits of people we come across or friends we know. Or or sometimes enemies. There's nothing better than, you know, somebody betrays you or you've got somebody you may not Mm -hmm. like. You're going to make a great villain in my next book. (laughs) And without saying too much, there, you know, some people might recognize themselves in some of these characters. And, uh, there was uh, Michael Crichton. I don't know if you ever heard that story. Uh, Michael no. Crichton had, uh, you know, who was a terrific author, you know, from everything from, you know, the Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. the Andromeda Strain, and just a prolific writer and sadly passed away a number of years ago. He had one critic at, it was a Washington, a Washington D.C. paper, that no matter what Michael Crichton wrote, this guy would trash it, absolutely decimate him. And Michael Crichton, in one of his last books, had had it. This guy would not only write a bad review, but he would kind of stalk him and, you know, just be horrible for no reason. And it's a piece of art, so it's subjective. And this guy got very invested. Mm. Michael Crichton ended up making him the villain in his book, but he, and he actually named him after the full character. I would never use somebody's, you know, you know, real name, but Michael mm. Crichton did. And, but what Michael Crichton did was he gave him some physical traits that if this gentleman was to sue him, they would have to be displayed in court. And they're not really things for a PG type show, but, Michael Crichton painted this guy as a um, a child molester and some horrible Ooh, things. That's horrible. And 
horrible. But what happened was the guy never could do anything because the way that Michael Crichton structured it. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a story that you can find online. It's, it's a long story about their their battles, uh, battles of the word, I guess we'll call it. So, uh, but you know, you never know where your your characters come from. I'm sure you had the same thing. Where do where do you base them? You know, you want to base well, the heroes on yourself. Well, there's a couple of people that 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 have done some horrible things recently, and yeah, uh, they're about to get killed in my next book. To make me feel better. <laughs> yes, they deserve it. But the, and it, I, I came up with an idea, and my my twenty five year old nephew thinks I'm cool. At least he doesn't think I'm some whatever. And I uh-huh. told him what the idea was and where I put these strange people and how they think they're dead, but they really weren't. And he said, "Holy God, that is so cool." So I'm going to make him read it before I send it to the publisher and torture him. because. Uh, that's great. I need, yeah, because my nephew, one nephew wrote one with me, one niece did, so maybe this one will help when he's really smart. So who is uh-huh. Carter Bow, and he blindsides Nick, poor Nick, and why does he want the bag, and how does he have a second watch? I want one too. Yeah, well, you know, Carter Carter Bow is a, uh, he, he's ex-military. And he, you know, is another person that is aware of this watch's existence. And But the thing with Carter is he's really thinking he can prevent a tragedy that mm. is on a global scale that the world does not even realize yet. And there are things afoot, and they actually happen in the town of Byram Hills where... Uh, the dam is placed. I didn't place it in Valhalla. I, I made a fictitious town of Armonk is actually Byron Hill. But there are things that are going on in the town, and some of which are underground. And there are um, events that are on a global scale that are trying to be resolved and solved within the town of Byron Hill. And mm. those people are also wiped out unknowingly by, you know, the world, uh, but world leaders that, uh, you know, are, are put in danger. And Carter Bowl knows that, you know, he can prevent this. You know, mm. but again, with all of these characters, whether it is Dane or Renzo or Carter mm. Bowl or even Nick's friends, what they say, what they do... Where they go is always a little questionable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, before I forget, I don't want to forget. I have it in front of me, yay, so I don't forget. Tomorrow, I don't know how I did it. This is the, I'm going to have, I did four this week. Tomorrow's number four. I never do four interviews in a week, usually two, but what can you do? I lost count, but that's You're okay. Tomorrow, yeah, that's what they tell me. New York Times author, one and only Brian Freeman, Zero Night, Jonathan Strider's back, I Love Brian, and he has a Jason Bourne series, too. On the first, another New York Times fantastic author, Deb Pine's Wicked Schemes. On the third, this is a little different, Pastor Michael Jones will be here, Michael's fun, and we're going to talk about his online university, and the cast of characters that work for him, 
and how to become an Amazon uh, author and a whole bunch of whatever else. On the 7th, because the sound went out and then the time screwed up, on the 7th, I'm redoing um, The Perfect Brother. On the 8th, this is so cool, Philip Margolin with a new Robin Lockwood at 11, special time. On the 10th, John Land, we hope. On the 14th, the one of the top pain interventionist doctors is going to come on my show with her co-author, Linda Spear. Dr. Sabina Shu will talk about when it hurts and pain management for all sorts of things. So people have questions, just ask. And on the 16th, a panel show with five people, and we're going to talk about uh, crime and true crime and how you write it, which is something I'm trying to learn every day but not doing too well. Whatever. <laughs> it's always good so, to learn new things. Yep, so on an envelope, names Nick Quinn, Julia Quinn, Senator Brian Chase, Charlie Hadley, why are they on there? And Jane searched and searched for the watch, and but he didn't know what to do and how he would do it. And the person that's the point becomes Julia in his quest to get the watch and the more. And she's not very nice to Nick. I went to smack her in the head a couple of times. <laughs> You know, what happens is Julia really becomes integral to the story. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. And, you know, as she she loves Nick, but there's things that are going on that she has hidden from Nick mm-hmm. that, you know, has made Nick suspicious. And the question is, what is she hiding? And, yeah. you know, is it part of this entire conspiracy? Is she participatory in it? Is she, you know, an unknown um, motivator? You know, is she somebody that, you know, can help stop everything? Or is she somebody that's contributing to what could be the destruction of her family and her town? And, you know, but I'd I'd like to make, you know, the characters complex. And as I mentioned, Julia is based on my wife. And just the good qualities. And just, but just the good qualities, and um, oh, okay, you know it. And you know the thing is, the Thirteenth Hour Chaos is my you know, seventh book with you know the what used to be the Big Six is now you know the Big Four, or, you know with the major publishers. But she is in every one of my books, and I have to make her different in you know each one so she's not recognizable. But as I had mentioned, it is so important for me to have emotion as I'm writing, you know, to mm. care about, you know, the main female character that, you know, love her, be angry with her, whatever it might be, um, because that's what's going to make it far more visceral. And, uh, you know, Julia in this story, very empowered woman. She's an attorney. She is a mover and a shaker and a mother mm-hmm. and um, it does many things. But, as we all do, has she made some mistakes? Has she aligned herself with some dangerous people? And, uh, you know, as you read, it makes, you know, the, the journey even more interesting. So it's, uh, you know, it's not just a story about a, about a guy. It's a story about a girl. It's a story about his love and his betrayal and their, you know, hints of politics. And, um, but, you know, it's a mystery thriller. And so... Julia is a big driver in that. So. Okay, where is my next page? I went through page one. Here we go. Tell us how Nick. Now this got upset me. I got nervous. 
Nick was taken by Renzo, and how does Carter enter along with Zane? And Zane hates him, too. So sad. Oh, yeah, yeah. There are allegiances. And, you know, again, without saying too much, Nick turns to, um, you know, what he thinks, you know, is an ally. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say whether it's Renzo or Zane, but he turns to them and, you know, chapter after chapter, and this gentleman is helping them. But what really turns out is he, one of those, uh, Renzo Zane is a real mm. uh, driver with his own agenda. And uh, that, you know, may be the cause behind everything that is happening, not just to his family and to the town, but is involved on a more global scale uh, that, you know, involves the president, that involves, you know, mm. other countries. And, um, you know, these Carter, Zane, and Renzo, you know, know of each other, you know, from a past, uh, you know, a a past of certain work that they did together. So. This this is scary. So we have Renzo and we have Zane, but his real mission is something else. And who is Marcus? And who knows what happened in the past? Which one knows what really happened in the past? Right. Marcus is Nick's best friend, his best friend through and through. Um, Nick is an adrenaline junkie. Nick is a kite surfer, a skydiver. He actually Mm. mirrors my life. I am a big, I'm a huge kite surfer. I've jumped out of planes hundreds of times and off of buildings and cliffs and you know, do a lot of that, so that gets infused in the story, and Marcus is an amalgam of several of my friends, and Marcus is Nick's neighbor, Um, he is extremely close to Nick and Julia, and he is his rock, he is the voice of reason, he is the character that throughout the story is saying, how do you possibly think you can save your wife, how can I help you, what is this watch, you know, he is the voice, he is the reader advocate, so to speak, you know, in questioning the craziness, but will help no matter what. He's the type of person that when you say, I need your help, but mm-hmm. I, you know, and we're going to, it's going to be dangerous and you don't question what it is and you just go along for the ride. He is that guy. Oh, God. And, um, but he is, he's the type of friend that we all want. You know, you know, he is Nick's rock through and through. There's no question of what Marcus is. And sadly, as the story does move backwards, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Marcus' life is compromised, um, you know, one or two times. Nick ends up, you know, his friend saves his life, sacrificing his own, Marcus sacrificing his own life. But, you know, in the magic of this book, it's moving backwards. Um, You know, Marcus is back. And, uh, You know, without revealing anything that, you know, Mm. it's so hard because we want to remain a mystery, but, you know, it's always good to know you're going to have a friend that's going to be there for you. So I I always love the Marcus type of person. We all need a Marcus in our life. Yeah, tell me about it. You just can't find one lately. What can I say? So, (laughs) But you will. You will. I know. You know, you you just, you know what, my best friend was my sister until... She died under unknown circumstances. 
strange circumstances. Yeah, and oh. she was my best friend because at 2 o'clock in the morning, if something was bothering me, I would say, Marsha Joyce, this you got to get. But she would drive me crazy, too, because every morning my mom had Alzheimer's, and she would say, did you give mom her medicine? I said, she doesn't want me. She wants the good one, that's you, to come <laughs> and give her her medicine. And she would say, oh, no. we have to, she, she drove me crazy, but, you know, I miss that every day. And it's funny yeah. because the time that you put in this book, the significance of 7.15 got me because that's when she used to call me every morning. And she would really? say, you the good bitch or the bad something? And I would go, the bad one with the other letter <laughs> in the front of the word. So what is, why 7.15 and why did Carter target Julia? I wanted to target her a couple of times too. She got me angry. <laughs> you know, what Carter realizes is we can all be strong, but yeah. when we have somebody that we love that's put in danger, we will yeah. do anything to protect them. And as with, I, I think the, the most evil anybody could be is when they use your own heart against you, when yeah. they put your loved ones in danger, when they they use, you know, your goodwill uh, to destroy you. And, you know, that is, you know, something that uh, a few of these characters realize in that you can use Julia as a pawn. You can yeah. go in and realize that, you know, you can threaten Nick's life, but he'll give up his life. But you threaten his family, and he will do anything to save him. Leveraging the so heart. Leveraging the heart. So we've got Carter. He gains control over Renzo. And who's Casper? And then Zane does something to Renzo's parents. And he's like, holy God, is anybody going to live? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, magic that. of time, the magic of time. You know, you you have a number of just on the face, no mm-hmm. uh, hiding it, bad people. Some, you know, killers that uh, you know work for some of our evildoers that don't necessarily mm. like to pull the trigger, but they know the people that do like to pull the trigger. And they they brought them in, and they are the facilitators of, you know, blowing up the dam of killing people, of kidnapping people. And, uh, you know, it, it turns out they do have a, a motivation, whether it's a false motivation, whether mm. it is, um, you know, from their perspective, again, you know, perspective is everything. They feel that they may be doing the right thing, but uh, they are—they are darkness. They're—they are all that's wrong in the world. And uh, Nick has to defeat them, and he and Marcus come up against them on several occasions. And they—they um, they put Marcus and Nick through hell. Uh, but gotta get through the chapter and find out what happened. <laughs> no, you have to read the whole book, but I'll tell you something. You read it backwards and forwards, and you get more upset because it's very scary. It's good. Yeah. So I have to ask this question. This is a long question coming up, so I have to ask this. Is this going to be a next one, right? There is done a third one. I, no, okay. I actually have a third one. It's finished. You know, the interesting thing is, in, oh my gosh, 2011, I guess it was, I had sold the first book, The 13th Hour, 
was being made mm. into a movie by New Line Cinema. And mm. in the vagaries of the world, you know, the movie fell apart. It was had a fantastic screenplay, director, yeah, actors. Yeah, I know. Fell apart. You know how these things go. And then it was yep. picked up again and again and again. And I had written the sequel, and my agent was like, you know, I wrote the sequel, maybe, this is the 13th Hour Chaos, maybe 2015. But I was told, you know what, Richard, don't release it. We've got to wait. We've got to wait. We've got to wait. And each movie would get going and then fall apart. And for those that don't know, that happens so often in the, the movie business. Yeah, I know. But uh, the, uh, we've now sold the first book, The 13th Hour, to Sony Television, and they are making it into a 13-episode series. And so the idea was, I'm like, you know what, I'm not waiting. Let's just put the book out. Um, I've yeah. had a lot of demand for it, and you know the first one is an international bestseller. It's sold in you know 32 countries. Um, the 13th Hour Chaos right now is being released in you know all those same markets, uh, and uh, I, I I plan on on continuing the adventures of Nick and Julia. I guess that reveals that they live by the end, but. Uh, the third one oh, I'm not going to say how they live. I'm not going to say what happens either. <laughs> but I can tell you this. Now I'll tell you the secret that I tell everybody at the end of my show. I do not, by the books that I've read, <laughs> too many of them, whatever. Um, <laughs> my my dermatologist and I have a have a, a standing agreement. I don't have to see him that often, but he loves to see me because I bring him a bag of books. And I can't come into the office, I'm serious, without at least 25 or 30. So last week, wow. Dr. Mermelstein, yeah, he got about 50. And I have the bag behind me. Yours is going in there right on top. And his wife loves me. She wants uh-huh. books. And I don't know if they give them away. She puts them on her bookshelf. And then there's a lady in this building, Mary, that blesses me when I bump into her. And I go to her, Mary, I got books for you. And then the UPS uh-huh. guy wanted to get me to bring them. He brings my books, most of them. Wiz gets a whole bunch, too. So there are hands out wow. on my books. Yeah, they, Everybody in the building calls, says to me, oh, there she is, the one that can't stop reading. I go, maybe uh-huh. you should start. So Nothing they, better than is, reading. Yep. This is a power play, control, revenge, undying love, greed, rewriting history, proving you can kill and destroy without remorse. How did you create this? And each character has a separate personality. And the cool part is when somebody's dead and they're not dead, that's even better than if you want to dead them again. That's okay. (laughs) You know, I love to write. I love to create. I love dreaming up characters and putting them in impossible situations. You know, I never figure out how they're going to get out of trouble. I love to put them in trouble. And figure yeah. out, hmm, how can I do this? You know, making an impossible, you know, an impossible escape, whether it's from, you know, physical or just emotional. You know, what can I do? And what's going to keep the reader engaged? What's going to mm-hmm. keep everybody turning pages? And to me, that's that's the fun. That's the challenge. And it's, it's creating a puzzle that, you know, keeps the story moving, but it all makes sense. And, uh, you know, that's the hardest. I'm sure you've got the same thing. It's you write it, and then you rewrite it, you know, to make it the best it can be. And, uh, I, 
you know, it's an outlet because, as I, as I mentioned, I'm an, an adrenaline junkie and, you know, mm-hmm. musician, and I, I do a lot of things in my life, and this is my television. This is my, what I do at night when I sit down to relax from my day, is mm-hmm. I create chaos. <laughs> no, it's it's fun. I spent a lot of years working with kids with learning disabilities, and I actually loved mm-hmm. it. And then my mom got Alzheimer's, and I had to retire, and the principal of the school that was brand new, unfortunately, destroyed everything that was in the school that was good. And oh. she retired in oh. April. They should have had a big, yay, thank God she's gone. And I think the the I, I worked there as the top reading person, and that's why I still mm-hmm. follow and can do this. But the the fun funny part was for after all the years when I retired, this past April, the school, the teachers that are still there, whatever, invited me to honor me at the intern party for all I did for the school for all those years. And unfortunately, Congratulations. It, it was, it was great. And they sent me all sorts of stuff. And I said, I, I was afraid because of the pandemic and the fact that New York City children are not all vaccinated, but the teachers were, but I just got to watch it on Zoom. It was fun. And I thought it was really uh-huh. kind of them, yeah, to say, well, my students yeah. are on Facebook, people. My students are all on Facebook, and they constantly uh-huh. remind me that I'm there. And one of them actually said on Facebook about a month ago, if not for how I'd be in Rikers. And he's now an activist, <laughs> and he does wow. uh, jogging. He does um, gym, you know, gymnastics, and he does a whole bunch of programs to help inner-kitty students, inner-kitty kids in the Bronx. And I'm so proud mm-hmm. of him. And of course, another one is the head of has a huge, huge boutique downtown. Uh huh. For bridals, and another one is my foot doctor. <laughs> wow! Look at the lives that you've influenced. You know, we. Do I, not you know, you don't know. You know something you really you, you don't can know. Influence one person, and it goes. Yeah. And that's actually how this yeah. whole thirteenth hour thing came about. I was sitting in traffic yeah. one day, and. I'm thinking, okay, why did this accident occur? 250 people are being made late. Yeah. Somebody's not getting the hospital to see their father's last breath. Yeah. Somebody's missing their daughter's amazing performance because somebody was texting. But that one person's life had an impact in that moment. And something like what you've done, you've had such a positive effect on people. And you can see how they've brought things out and I always look and reach back to my teachers, um, and I tell them how I feel and how they influence me. And you don't realize, because that lesson that you told, taught one person, they're passing that lesson on to two other people. And those two people are passing it to four. And so the influence you can have yeah. on just whether it's local or even on a grander scale, um, it, it starts with that personal. And that's what you've done. It's it's scary. I think the last year before this person came, this principal that was there wanted me to get to school as assistant principal. And, um, yeah, the story is going to be in the next book, by the way. It's called Accusations and Cues. She was the betrayed, my principal. They called and asked wow. me if I would – they called and asked from the chancellor's office and the head of the Board of Education's um, testing department – if they could send me new scoring sheets, would I change the scores for the reading and writing test and make it say what, what they wanted it to say? And I refused to do it. Yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was it was tough. I get and, it. I got, and my she backed me up, my principal, and then mm-hmm. I the superintendent wouldn't let me be assistant principal because I wouldn't cheat. So I said, you know what? It's too bad. It doesn't matter. But this this is this is um an interesting question too. Okay. So we know what is next for you and what about the watch and where can everybody get your learn about you and your work? And the book is going in for Dr. Mermelstein after we speak. Ah, amazing. You know, my book is available everywhere. It, you know, all of my books, um, you know, whether bookstores, Amazon, you know, how with the libraries, you know, wherever you choose to find a book, you will find uh, the 13th Hour Cast. You'll find my Steve series. You'll find Half Past Dawn. You know, I have uh, eight books that are out there. And nice. uh, you can find me at richarddeutsch.com. Uh, you know, just put in, you know, Richard Deutsch, you'll, you'll get directed over to me. You can learn all about the silly, stupid stuff I do. Um, I actually play in a, in a band with Paul Schaefer. Um, oh, nice. He's the keyboard player. And uh, so always doing fundraisers with him. I develop, I, I, I've developed uh, several hundred thousand apartments for affordable apartments and work with a lot of social workers on staff, you know, trying to make the world a better place. So I'm all over the place. But you can find me at, you know, richarddeutsch.com if you want to learn a little more. I, you know, there's articles in the Post and the Times. And oh, all nice. I, I hate promoting myself, but for you those should, that though. care, that's, that's where you go. <laughs> you know what? It's okay. You're supposed to because you're supposed to be if, – if somebody does something that they are proud of, then that's okay. It's when you do something that is wrong and hurts other people, that that's that's different. But this book is, is fantastic, and if you don't read 13-Hour Chaos, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, the people are listening, so people out there, you're not getting the book. That's why they have Amazon. Barnes and Noble, Kobo, and whatever. If anybody has a book coming out in January, <laughs> I only have a couple of more dates for interviews in January. I've got a whole bunch in February already. I've got D.P. Lyle in May already, and in and in December. Yeah, he writes for Criminal Minds, and he loves me. Somebody's gotta. What can I tell you? He like great. <laughs> so if you nice. have something coming out, let me let me know. Richard, thank you so much. And maybe you'll come to the bakery thank one day you. and say hi again. <laughs> I will absolutely, and you know, on that day I saw you, I ended up buying three cakes and brought them to my 88-year-old oh, man God, who lived up did? the road. Oh, good. So, very memorable day. Love that bakery. One of my favorites. So, oh, good. I look I'll, forward I'll to seeing you and talk to you again, friend. So. Yeah, I, I don't go do. there too Please often. Do. I go there like um, 8, 30, 9 o'clock because Joe, when he, when he does, he makes bread, uh, the long uh-huh. bread, so I can eat the inside. That's a whole other messy story. So he makes that. I don't eat anything cake, any cake or cheesecake because I'm allergic to real milk, not lactose. So I stay skinny. Uh-huh. But it'll be nice to see Way you. To Let go. me know when you come. Everybody, it's I a will. beautiful day outside. And when it gets rainy, that's when you read a whole bunch of books and buy them in print because it's more fun to have the book in front of you than read it on your Kindle. How boring. This, that's just me. I agree. Everybody, have a great day and bye. Friend, thank you.